My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Um, If the Canadian visual artist Marcel Dezama had a book about his life and art, there'd be a few chapters. There'd be one where he's growing up in Winnipeg, making his way through the winters and drawing bears and bats and trees and flapper girls and G.I. Joes in a snowy landscape. There'd be the chapter about how in the 90s he had this wild art collective called the Royal Art Lodge that he did with his uncle and his sister. There'd be a chapter about the work he did with The Weaker Thans and Beck and Kim Gordon and Amy Sedaris and album covers and videos and short films. And the most recent chapter would be about his new solo exhibition opening at the McMichael Canadian Art Collection in Kleinberg, Ontario, because this is someone who's always been on the cutting edge of Canadian visual art, and he's found a new appreciation for something kind of old school, Tom Thompson and the Group of Seven. So I got to have a conversation with Marcel about coming up in Winnipeg, about finding fame, a great story about how your life kind of changes when Jim Carrey buys one of your works, and about this new show. But I started by asking him about what he remembers about his first experience with visual art. If you're not already subscribed to our podcast, please do so. Cue with Tom Power, wherever you get your podcasts. Here's my conversation with Marcel Dezama. How are you? Well, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Tom. Talk to me. We're going to talk a little bit about Tom Thompson in the, in the Group of Seven in just, in just a second. But I, I want to talk a little bit about your, your childhood in growing up in Manitoba and in Saskatchewan. When, when, you were, when you were a kid growing up in Manitoba, what was your first exposure to art? Um, well, I, th- I think my first exposure, I guess, it would be just ch- uh, just childhood books like uh, Murray Sendak, Where the Wild Things Are, um, uh, the going to the Museum of Natural History and seeing um, those dioramas that were in there, and then uh, later on uh, the Winnipeg Art Gallery that like amazing uh, Inuit art there, and so that all was part of it. And then basically my time period, I was kind of raised on. I was obsessed with comic books and, uh, and monster magazines. <laughs> Anything with Dracula or the werewolf. Didn't you? Didn't <laughs> I hear that you like you submitted your drawings to Marvel when you were in high school? Yeah, I, I and to DC and whatever other companies there were at that time. Um, but they they sent me letters saying don't send original uh, characters because <laughs> I didn't I didn't draw their characters. So I. I, I did a couple where I did their characters, but there was still a rejection letter from that too. <laughs> you you were creating your own superhero characters, yeah, but they they were really strange comics. They were like, um, I had like my sister's dolls came to life and took over uh, took over Winnipeg, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had other ones where um, there was this type of fly that kind of takes over um, uh, Gimli Beach called the Mayfly and. There, there's so many that I only only live for one day, and there's so many that you can't drive on the road that die because it's slippery with their their dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and this one character only lives for one day, so he tries to be a hero for one day, and that was that comic book. So I guess a hero that only lives for one day was probably not 
the most, I guess you can't have a series based on that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of into these characters now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually sold my original ones to, there was this uh, comic book store called Trader Pete's and I gave him all my original comics and in, in exchange for older comics. So I don't know if he still has them or if he still exists anymore. <laughs> in Winnipeg? Yeah, in Winnipeg. I think his name was Peter Glade. So I don't know if he's still around. I'll tell you one thing I've learned about the CBC is that we're about to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, if you don't mind talking about this, and if, and if this is sensitive to talk about, you, you just let me know and we, and we can move on. But um, it's interesting to hear you talk about your early work. And, I, and, and I'm glad you sold some of your original drawings to it was Trader Pete. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because my, my understanding is a lot of your early work when you were when you were young um, and sort of a budding visual artist and, and, and figuring out what your what your style was going to be, a lot of that work was destroyed in um, in, a, in a house fire. Is that right? Yeah. In uh, when I was in university, I, w- I was still living at my parents' place, um, and uh, my dad was building a bathroom, and he he was using this uh, this kind of spray foam close to a, a pilot light. And it ignited the whole place up. He he actually got some burns on his arms, but he escaped. But uh, yeah, my, my room was in the basement, so it was totally uh, destroyed. And all my old uh, artwork. And I was working on quite a few paintings because it was my thesis year at university. So I had all that destroyed. But it, in some ways, it kind of became like almost like a like a phoenix type story <laughs> where I ended up making all these uh, new drawings on uh, uh, the insurance company put us up in a hotel near the airport called the airliner Inn, and I had uh, done all these drawings on hotel stationery. And for my thesis uh, project uh, for the end of university. And um, I just did hundreds of them on my uh, hotel bed, <laughs> just, just drawing on the stationery, And they're just these kind of surrealist uh, figurative drawings. When you say it was a phoenix, do you mean do you mean that um, the work that you? I mean, assuming what you, what you mean there is like out of the ashes, something else was something else was yeah. born. But and you mentioned the sort of more surrealist stuff that you started making um, uh, when you were you know when you were drawing on the uh, on the hotel stationery. Was that very different than the work that that was lost in the fire? Yeah, I was. I felt like. It was much more dense and detailed and um, a lot of it was like, it was still very cheap materials. Like it was just house paint on found wood (laughs) mainly. So, but it it definitely did have a different type of style to it. And uh, I I think just being in the hotel and not having anything anymore uh, was just, I wanted to make up for what was gone. Also just uh, having nothing (laughs) kind of, it was this weird freeing kind of situation. Um, yeah, like I had nothing to lose. And it, it kind of came in a different sort of way as well. It, I guess it, there was a lot of drawings that were based on house fires and <laughs> and fire creatures and things like that. These, but, these drawings end up getting a, 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 a fair bit of attention, right? Yeah. The, and so this thesis show um, my... Uh, professor uh, Allison Norland. She's actually a really great artist. Uh, she introduced Wayne Barewalt, who is a curator at the Plugging Gallery, um, to to come see these this this thesis work that I did. 
And from that, I, I got a show at, at the plugin gallery and then also a show in, uh, in a group show in LA, which led to all my galleries from there on. <laughs> what, what, what is from that? that I mean, you were so young. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. what, what was that what was that like for you to all of a sudden go from this like being a kid really in in school to showing at these kind of major galleries in, in the states yeah um it was it was strange because um i kind of was just rolling with it <laughs> it was and it, and it felt more like uh like in one year it felt like 10 years happened like if i look at, at that time period if i look back on it if it felt like 10 years worth of things happened in that few months um, from just like getting uh, shown in this group show. And well, uh, even the, even the house fire was part of that. So it was only within a stretch of um, that one year that uh, it was 96 and 97 that it went from house fire, losing everything to gallery and getting all, all this uh, press and, and other galleries. Um, it, around the same time, your your art starts to change a little bit. Um, uh, animals start factoring into your to your art. Bears start showing up, uh, bats, um, a lot of different animals, and then like costumes, like flapper girl costumes from the twenties, and and then like Dracula and GI Joe. Where, where was all that coming from? Well, I, Winnipeg kind of like peaked in the nineteen twenties. It was like the Chicago of the North, and they had a lot of vaudeville uh, theaters and things like that. And so kind of saw that that whole ghost of of the 1920s in Winnipeg. Like you'd see old ads written on the buildings. Like you could see that it had its high points. And if you went to um, uh, like thrift stores, the, the kind of better stuff was all from that time period. Like there'd be old magazines from the 20s. Oh, and cool. so I would have these like old Sears catalogs that I got at, at the, I don't know if Value Village still exists, but. Yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from there and i'd use that as references so i'd be drawing these 1920s outfits and i had my grandparents old magazines uh old life magazines and I, i'd be using those as references and um yeah it's just it, yeah there's that sort of kind of ghost that that that's around winnipeg of the 20s and they had like the 1919 nationals strike uh that happened there's like just kind of the history there was so rich during that time period. I believe even, uh, I was it Charlie Chaplin and Groucho Marx met for the first time in Winnipeg. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't it, know that. Because there's be so many vaudevillian shows that come through. I mean, it's interesting to me in knowing, like learning about your work, especially that you would be interested in sort of like, I hope you take that in the spirit that I mean it, like yeah. in the history <laughs> and like culture of Winnipeg through your work. Yeah, I think, um, well, it, it wasn't even trying. It was just kind of, you'd hear these stories from like film professors and, and uh, just friends or my grand grandfather who always would talk about unions and he, he was really into that. And so, yeah, it just kind of was passed down. <laughs> um, we were talking a little bit about some of those early, like, you know, you're, you're, you're coming out of school and you get you get into these gallery shows and things start to kind of start happening for you. The the story I heard uh, is that you, like, you kind of, you run into Jim Carrey and he introduces you to Nicolas Cage. This is just the things I've heard about you. And they both buy your work and that that's meaningful to your career. Is that right? Yeah, so that was a group show. Um, and uh, Jim Carrey just happened to be at the 
um, it was called like the LA Biennale. I think it was the first year of it. So it was this kind of party atmosphere. So, so they, they had these, these parties that brought everyone there. And so, yeah, he, he bought a few drawings. I, I even gave him one too. I can't remember what it was. I think he played the Riddler or something. Yeah. Like in ba- Batman and some, forever, I think. Yeah. And there happened to be some question mark kind of drawing. And I was like, well, they like say you could have that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, speaking so, of, of, of non, non-visual artists, you, you've done a lot of uh, collaboration with artists and musicians and actors over the years. You did the album cover for Bex uh, Wero. You did uh, the Weaker Than's reconstruction site. You, you, as I mentioned, you made work with Kim Gordon and Amy Sedaris. How important is collaboration outside of uh, collaboration with visual artists to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, when I work with like Amy and Kim, that w- that was on like short films that I was making. And so that was a lot of fun because that was, um, we were friends before we started working together. So that, and Amy's just like a walking uh, party that it's just, you want to hang around her <laughs> as much um, as possible. Um, so with any of those type of collaborations, I, I always find it a lot of fun to to get out of uh, doing just because it, it's pretty lonely just sitting at a desk doing drawings and or, or painting in a studio. And it's a nice way to kind of um, interact with the world a little bit, because um, when, when you make films, you have this kind of family that you get together and um, you kind of work on this one goal and when it's over i guess you kind of depart like maybe going off to college or something like that <laughs> you don't see each other again <laughs> did did the weaker thens thing happen because is that, is that a winnipeg connection with john or something yeah like we were, that? were friends with uh john samson and um um I'm forgetting some of the other members. Right now, <laughs> Jason but. and those guys. But like, yeah, Jason, that strikes me as like, you strike me as somebody who that would be very exciting to make, to make album covers. You were talking to me about being in bands when you were young. It must be very exciting to make these album covers. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was really exciting uh, to do the, the back one at the time. Cause uh, I, I was actually making a music video for him and uh, um, for the, the album before. Um, and it got, um, they said it would be too expensive, but Beck liked the the drawings so much that he said he wanted to use the drawings for the album cover. And I said, could I try and make uh, a proper drawing for it instead? Because it was just these sketches that I had done. And I think he used some of the sketches in like the, the, the liner notes and things like that, that were uh, ideas for the music video. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Coming up, more of my conversation with the visual artist Marcel Dezama. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Um, let, let, let's talk a little bit about the show. It's called uh, Ghosts of Canoe Lake. What does that title mean to yeah. you? Well, uh, just the the fact that Tom Thompson had this mysterious death 
um, while he was painting uh, on in on Canoe Lake, or, or he's found in an, his body was found in the water there, and with an overturned canoe, um, so, and a mysterious uh, mystery bump on the head. <laughs> With, with all respect to you, like when I when I look at your work as a Canadian artist, you know I I um, I, I don't have the I'm a banjo player and I'm a bit nervous to be using any sort of like art vernacular with you when it comes to like the way I view your work. I will say that it it doesn't look like the pastoral group of seven paintings to me. I I, I was a little surprised that you had an affection for Tom Thompson and his work. Yeah, it kind of happened uh, kind of recently. I. I uh, like I knew about the group of seven just because I think every Canadian does if they're in the art scene. Yeah, I think I think if you're born and I think if you're born in Canada and you show any interest in the arts, at some point someone hands you a pamphlet with the group of seven yeah. in it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think even some of the University of Manitoba, some of the buildings were named after them. And right, uh, yeah. And so I knew I knew about Tom just because of uh, of his mysterious death and all that um but slowly uh, like in the last few years i've been um i think really during the pandemic i started drawing more nature scenes and um i moved to long island and uh i've been kind of drawing from nature a little bit more actually going outside and drawing actual trees instead of in my studio in the in the dark um and so i kind of really got attached to to his work from that. What did you see in Tom Thompson's work that maybe you had missed before? Yeah, I think, um, well, yeah, I think I didn't have that appreciation for the oddness of nature. There's that that feeling of, like, when you're alone in nature and you, you just, where you, where you feel like you're nothing and you're part of everything. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> Uh, that that vastness and I, I really yeah that, like that that makes sense. I mean, I read um, during the pandemic. I read Jenny O'Dell's book, um, How to Do Nothing. I don't know if you read that, and it was a big part of the. You know, when I was I was I would try to. She recommends at some point to sitting in a field and watching trees, and I decided yeah. to start doing that. You know, so I would sit in the field and I would just try to watch trees, and I would try to remind myself that I was not separate from nature. I was I was yeah. part of a part of what was happening. So you you sort of had that. What looking at Tom Thompson's work sort of reminded you of that. Yeah, remind me of that. And just being in nature more than because I've been in uh, New York for uh, or in the city of like Manhattan and Brooklyn uh, for most of uh, my 30s and 40s. So just being in nature again, just kind of attached me to to that work. Um, there's a work in the show that's named after the title of the exhibition. It's called Ghost of Canoe Lake. We're on the radio, but I, my, my understanding right. is people are going to be able to see this work if they go to if they go to our website. Um, yeah. But for those who are listening to the CBC, maybe people in your family, uh, can you describe the work to me a little bit? Like, even just tell me what we what what we would see if we were to look at it. The image on on there, I, there's a this polka dotted character that I that draw a lot. This kind of uh, harlequin masked. Uh, uh, character who's, uh, I believe, has a has a baby in its uterus, <laughs> but but you could see it through the costume, and it's it's kind of dreaming in there. Um, and then there's uh, an archer uh, that I, I've been drawing her quite a bit. That's that's usually my wife. She's she's very good at archery, and so uh, I always include her in there. And um, 
but I believe there's like some nature scene in the background, some fall foliage, which is kind of Tom Thompson-y. <laughs> is, is it exciting to be at the McMichael with knowing that so many of the group of seven works are there as well? Yeah, very exciting. And then there's actually a Tom Thompson retrospective there right at the moment. Might, I recommend people. That must be meaningful <laughs> yeah. to you to have your work up there uh, alongside those that work. Yeah, especially right now. It's like uh, I, I'm like kind of obsessed with them at the moment. Um, I, I want to close off by asking you another tough, tough question. You know me. Oh, yeah. I'm known for my <laughs> tough questions. <laughs> real, real gotcha kind of guy. Um you you've you've entered into the 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 sort of canon of of Canadian artists at this point. So I was I was looking at this book about Tom Thompson, and it said uh, he quote created paintings that shaped the way Canadians view their land. Thompson's compelling works ignited a powerful national art movement and created lasting icons in a young country. So I'm wondering if there's some first year art student in the year 2095 who's studying uh, Marcel de Zama's work in a textbook. Any hopes for what that sentence might say about you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's worth a shot. Uh, myself. A minor, minor footnote in Canadian art history. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I have I have a good feeling it won't say that, but I, I do. That's 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 a very perfectly appropriate response. Um, a great joy to finally get the chance to speak with you, and uh, uh, and thanks so much for making the time. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. It's my conversation with the Canadian visual artist Marcel Dezama. His new exhibition, Ghosts of Canoe Lake, is at the McMichael Canadian Art Collection in Kleinberg, Ontario, until June 9th. That's it for us. Um, the other podcast episode we have up today is really worth your time. It's Deantha Edmonds, who is Canada's first Inuk classical soprano. And I thought uh, I thought we were going to have a conversation about one thing, you know, a little bit about her story and how she got into the music and all this stuff. And the story she ended up telling about, I mean, I'll just briefly summarize it, like about growing up as this kid in Newfoundland, obsessed with classical music, didn't really know why. Her dad kind of vaguely remembers her dad's, um, her, her dad grew up in Hopedale in Nunatsiavut, which is the homeland of the Labrador Inuit, kind of vaguely remembers hearing classical music and strings and brass instruments growing up. Later, she finds out, after she's grown up and is a opera singer, she finds out what that music actually was. She gives up her teaching career to pursue that music professionally, and it changes her life and leads her to becoming a member of the Order of Canada. The hook is, what what was that music, and why don't we know about it in Canada? There you go. Go, go check that out. All right, we'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.